Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another morning. We thank you so much for this spring break week that we have just finished. Thank you, God, that it has ended truly the way we would think of spring break or would desire it to be with great spring weather and sunshine. Father, thank you for Sundays. We love Sundays and we're glad to be here. We ask, Lord, that you would be teaching us and growing us and increasing our faith through your word. We've committed ourselves to it, Father. We want to hear it and therefore know it, believe it, be about it. So help us, Father, by the power of your Spirit, through the preaching of the word, work in us that you might get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are black pew Bibles there in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. We are uh, moving right along through the book. I didn't preach on Peter last week because it was Easter. Preached on one verse from 1 John. Glad to be back now to 1 Peter. I thank God for spring break. It has rained a little bit. Started a little heavy with a lot of storms last weekend, but it's been nice. It's been great to have free time with the kids. The sunshine yesterday was fantastic. The kids played outside for like 12 hours straight. It was awesome. They've got a little bit of sunburn on their face. That, to me, is what childhood and spring break is all about. And uh, that was good. They, they were muddy. They were dirty. And that's what it means to be a boy. I, I told them, that's what you remember. You don't remember that your parents took you to the zoo about having a great childhood. You remember chilly evenings. Last night about 9 o'clock when I called Noah in, Noah still had his shirt off. He played all day with no shirt on. I called him in at 9 o'clock and it was like 50 degrees by the time we brought him in last night. It was really cold. But that's what childhood's about and I'm thankful for that. Hope this spring break was good for you too. Over spring break, we had something that I'd never heard of before, but I saw it online, National Siblings Day. Did y'all hear about this, that it was National Sibling Day? I had never heard about that, <clears throat> but I saw it, and I started thinking about my sister, and so I, I gave a little shout out to my sister online, and she's, uh, my parents only had two, it's just me and my sister, and I'm 35 years old, and my sister's 31, she's a few years younger than me. When I was a senior in high school, she was a freshman in high school. And so we grew up together, and I love my sister. She is an awesome lady. She is uh, married, mother of two. She's an awesome Christian, uh, godly mother and wife. Uh, we have a great relationship. Um, she's awesome. Hopefully she'll be up here soon um, with the new baby coming, and y'all be able to see her. If you've never met her before, you can meet her. I say all that good stuff because I'm about to say something bad. Maybe she'll listen. When we were in high school, I, I was a senior and she was a freshman, and that's hard. That's hard on the big brother, and that's hard on the younger sister. My sister is really, really pretty. And uh, so y'all can imagine what it was like being a senior guy, uh, having a freshman sister. And uh, there was one time where some drama happened in high school, if you can imagine that. And um, my sister went off. If y'all know what went off means, went off on somebody in the we went to public school, and she went off on somebody in the cafeteria. And when I say went off, I mean she really, really went off on somebody. It's really bad, really, really bad. And uh, so we were at home one evening, 
uh, shortly after that. And granted, she's only a freshman and I'm a senior. And so I'm kind of like trying to coach her through... That was bad, Ginger. Her name's Ginger. Ginger, that was bad. Uh, you, you couldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. And she says, no, I had to. They needed it. They deserved it. I, I needed to do that. So she has all this attitude. And me, being a Christian, and my sister was a Christian too, I was a young, you know, 18 years old. I didn't know how to help people. I was probably overzealous. I said to her in the midst of her rage and anger, well, what about what God says? which is not the right thing to say in a fit of rage. In your homes, don't say that in the midst of the rage. Be gracious and kind and wait till the storm passes. But here I am, 18-year-old high school senior, thinking I know everything, certainly knowing more than my little freshman sister. I said to her, yeah, but what about what God says about how you just acted in front of everybody? To which she turned around and replied to me, I don't care what God says. And I'm thankful that she does care what God says. My sister truly does care what God says. She's living her life now according to what God says. But that comment has stuck with her and me because it, it, it shows, it is a great illustration for, for me and you today of how we at times do indeed get to where we are living completely disregarding what God says. I'm guilty of it. This is not an illustration to say how bad my sister is. And I would imagine you're guilty of it too. In 1 Peter chapter 2 today, he has this phrase, be mindful of God. Mindful. In that setting in my home, in our home, my sister at that time was totally not mindful of God. I am very guilty on a daily basis of acting in ways that are, where I've forgotten to be mindful of God. Today I want us to see from 1 Peter chapter 2, in the face of persecution, in the face of life not going the way we want it to, God telling us to live in such a way because we are mindful of God. And I hope that today will be one of those sermons where you're thinking, I needed that. I hope you leave today going, I want to be that. I'm going to give you three points today from 1 Peter chapter 2. The first is, mindful of God in trials. We are to be mindful of God in trials. Number two, we are to be mindful of God as Christ was mindful of God. And we'll see all of these as we walk through the passage. And then number three, mindful of God because we have new minds. We are able to be mindful of God because we have new minds. Number one, mindful of God in trials. Number two, mindful of God as Christ was mindful of God. And number three, mindful of God because we have new minds. So let's begin at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, there you have it, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the end of chapter 2. And I want to point you back up to verse 12, where he says, "...to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable." So that when they speak evil, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I've told you that now everything else that comes after that, starting at verse 13, is kind of built on the idea that we are to keep our conduct honorable. We are to live in such a way that God is honored regardless of the circumstances. Circumstances is kind of like step two or the next phase or or the result before we face any circumstances, good or bad, up or down, happy or sad, horrible or joyful, before the circumstances, we are to keep our conduct honorable. And then we have now, starting at verse 18 for today, that in light of keeping our conduct honorable. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and and gentle, but also to the unjust. He wants here... For them to be good, gentle, faithful, obedient to the masters, servants. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the treating, here's what he says, whether they are just or unjust, be subject to them. He says, then he goes on to explain, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In other words... There are times in our lives where one endures hardship, trials, here, sorrows, unjustly. That's why I'm saying point number one, mindful of God in trials. If you came to church today hoping that karma is a real thing, and that by coming to church today you're going to spin the chain of events, the cause and effect of life in such a way that the rest of your day is going to go well, and hopefully maybe even the rest of your week. You ever heard people say that? I'm going to go to church Sunday and I hope my week turns out all right. If you came here today hoping that that's what's going to happen, I'm going to tell you it's probably not going to happen. Life is so wired, I don't know why, but life is so wired that trials are real. Difficulties are real. Things that upset us, things that we say, that's not fair. They come up and they're not fair. To which all of you have heard somebody say in reply, life's not fair. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about suffering, enduring sorrow unjustly. I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't deserve that. That's not right. That's not fair. He's talking about situations like that. He's talking specifically about a servant to a master who is being treated wrongly. And his answer is that we are to be mindful of God in that. Do you see that in verse um, 19? When you do that, 
Handle it in a gracious way. It is a gracious thing, mindful of God, to go through it well, to go through it good, to go through it with respect, to go through it in a gentle way. Now, to ask somebody to go through suffering, enduring sorrow, and to be gentle and good about it is nearly out of this world. This is not the norm. Yet it tends to be the way of life. If you do this to me, then I'm going to do it back to you. You come over to our house any day, you watch somebody get hit, you hear somebody crying, you say what happened, he says he hit me, why'd you hit him? He hit me first. That's the way it goes in the Green household every single day. That's not the way God says for us to be. We are not, Jesus does not say, treat people the way they treat you. Right? That's not what he says. That's not the golden rule. Although that tends to be what we do. If your neighbor's been rude to you, you're fine to say, they're rude, I'm rude back. Somebody cuts you in line, you're fine to cut them back in line. Now Jesus teaches us in the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 that we would do unto others what we would have them do unto us. We treat people not the way they treat us, but the way we would like for them to treat us. So somebody's rude to you, you're not rude back. Somebody's rude to you, you are good and gentle back because you would like for them to be good and gentle to you. Obviously, we're never going to do this without being mindful of God. But I want you to hear today that the Bible calls us to be mindful of God in those trials, in that suffering, in that hardship. I do also want to point out what is glaringly obvious, that the Bible is not talking about small things like a rude neighbor or somebody cutting you in line. Sadly, the applications of Christianity and dealing with people often in the United States only take it to that. And that's a shame that we need to be coached on just somebody being rude to us. He's talking to people who are being beaten, who are being arrested, who are being thrown in jail, whose homes are being ransacked, whose lives are full of abuse. He's talking to people who are going through things like you're often seeing on the news. They're being treated wrongly. They're being beaten. Their kids are being taken from them. People are being arrested. People are being, their homes are being set on fire. He's talking about some severe persecution here. And he says, in the face of that, be good and gentle. Be just. Be right. Endure it. Be mindful of God that you would know how to be. There are truly situations in life that are hard. They're just not fair. And it's not enough to just wish that it would change because, as you know, sometimes years and years and years and years go by and it never changes. Many of you all have been praying and hoping that your husband would change and he's not changing. Many of you all are hoping that, that your work or your boss would change and he's not changing. And you talk to somebody and you end up just hearing them go, I just wish it could be different. But a lot of times it doesn't get different. And so what the Bible calls us to is to have the mind of God, be mindful of God. What does God say? Since I can't change that, maybe the Word of God will change me. 
Since I can't change the situation, since I can't change the circumstances, may the Word of God change me. Okay, what does it say? It says to be mindful of God in that situation. Mindful means to be thinking about it. Mindful means to have your mind set on it. Mindful means that when you are raging in the cafeteria as a freshman in high school and you're ready to go off on somebody, that you go to what does God want me to do here and you don't. Or you say, I don't care what God says. You're not mindful of God and you do what you think you should do. That's wrong. And that is sin. There are situations that our mind cannot handle. One of my favorite things that the Bible says is to be not wise in your own eyes. Do not trust yourself. Do not think that you'll figure this out on your own. Don't say, I got this. If you getting this is apart from the truth of the Word of God, the foundation of the Word of God. We hear those things so often, yet they're never, rarely, hardly ever, pointing us to be what God wants us to be, mindful of God. Trials come, the Bible says. You could probably think of right now great passages in the Scripture where Jesus is saying, hey, they hated me. And if you align yourself with me, they're going to hate you. He says that, John chapter 15, verse 18. Or what about this one that I I know that you know? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's the teaching of the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 2. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Be joyful when you go through trials, hardships. Man, I hate a situation where you say, man, I hate this. I don't want to deal with this. Why us? The Bible says, consider it joy because God knows what He's doing with you. He is testing you. He is growing you. He's purifying you. The Bible teaches that that God is the potter and we are the clay. And it gives us this picture of God being on the wheel with the clay and just working and working. And if you've ever seen that done before, every little blemish, imperfection, every little rock that's in there has to be taken out. And He just keeps working and His hands are moving to make this thing perfect. That's what God says He's doing with us. But if we go through trials not mindful of God, then we are not even Christian. We are dealing with it the way a lost person would, somebody who doesn't know God. We must be mindful of God. Or what about this passage, another one from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. A few words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your enemy and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, Jesus changes it. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is countercultural. This is revolutionary. This is the kingdom of God. This is the new life that Jesus brings. We don't hate enemies, we love enemies. And that means we have to suffer unjustly. That means we are being treated wrong and we're willing to deal with it. That's what Jesus teaches. He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's easy to treat people the way they treat you. Duh, that's called friendship. It's hard to treat people the way you want to be treated when they're treating you wrongly. That's called Christ-like. That's called biblical. 
That's called godly. And Peter is telling these people in the middle of persecution to do that. How? As mindful of God. We know that our minds will fail us. There are times when we cannot trust in our minds. We must have the mind of God. We must be people who have trained ourselves to know what God has said. We must be those who read His Bible and and, and memorize His Bible, learn His Bible. We know what God's about so that we can handle unjust situations in life with the mind of Christ. John MacArthur says that one's Christianity does not give the right to rebel against one's superior in the social structure, no matter how unfair or harsh he may be. As a Christian, it's not time for us to rebel and do the wrong thing. We are to still do the right thing even if it is harsh, unfair. You can think of examples of of Daniel, awesome Daniel, being treated wrong. And Daniel saying, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. You think of Joseph being treated so wrongly. Potiphar's wife said that he tried to rape her. He didn't. He was such a man of integrity. He didn't. And yet, they sent him to jail. They, they put him down in rank. He made, they, made, they, 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 they abused him. They treated him wrongly. What does the Bible show Joseph doing over and over and over again? Being the best one there was. Such a fine example. So that sure enough, it was found out. And he climbed back up in rank. He advanced. Because he trusted in God. God knows what he's doing. That's what Jesus just appealed to in Matthew chapter 5. You know it's God that makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. You know it's God that makes the rain come on the good and the evil. It's God that does this. Trust that God knows what he's doing. You do what you're supposed to do. Be mindful of God. I've told this story before, but I tell it again. One of my good friends, Woody, he's a missionary now that we pray for. When we were in high school, he was a star soccer player, all-state soccer player. And they were playing the state tournament at our high school. And a bunch of us were there to cheer them on. It was a state tournament game. It was a big deal. We had on shirts and everything that said Woody and, and Go Piedmont and all that kind of stuff. And it was an exciting time. And, and out there on the field, Woody's a star player. Out there on the field in the middle of it, you know, we, we tend to think of soccer as kind of weak, but it's actually a tough sport. There's some mean guys out there. Right, Isaac? Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy and Woody are up in each other's face on the field. Yellow cards and stuff going. And this guy in front of the whole crowd is... They're like this close in Woody's face in front of everybody. So Woody, being short, little, stocky, red-headed kid, goes off. Like my sister went off, he went off and was ready to just kill him. The rest trying to block it up. He's losing his mind. His dad, who's in the ministry, starts booking it down out of the bleachers. Gets all the way down there to the fence, right there up to the bench. He don't call him Woody. He calls him, Chris, you get over here right now. All of us start running out there because we love his dad, Larry. We start running down, too. We all go to church together. We all come running down, too. Public high school, we're like, get him, Larry. Beat him up, Woody. Larry turns around to us and says, boy, you better stop right now. Chris, you get over here right now. I said, what do you mean? Because I'm thinking, this is the right time to fight. Larry says, Chris, you better represent Jesus. 
How's that boy ever going to know what Jesus is like if you're ready to tear his head off? He spit in your face, so what? People spit in Jesus' face. Don't you think it's time to show how tough you are? That'll accomplish nothing right now. Set me back, y'all. I was so far from being mindful of God. It did not enter my mind that God was real, that God cared, that Jesus was real, that I was a Christian, that I had just come from church the Sunday before, that Woody was there with me. None of that was on my mind at all. I'm thinking soccer, spit, fight, that's all that was on my mind. I'm thinking that's all that was on Woody's mind. It was all that was on Woody's mind. I'm thinking that's all that was on his dad's mind. No. It's hard to be a dad and watch your star son play a sport. I was so impressed that day. That was 17 years ago. Of how the dad was mindful of God in the midst of a trial. He wanted his boy to obey God and do what God asks. To be like Jesus in the middle of that trial. It wasn't on my mind. It was on Larry's. Folks, we are to be mindful of God in trials. Number two, we have the example of Jesus in this. Look at verse 21. Well, verse 20 ends saying that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God likes this. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. God is not not saying, well, if you can, try to. He's saying, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's my calling in your life. To be mindful of God in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. And then he gives us, point number two, that Christ is our example of this. If you want to know what being mindful of God is like, look to Jesus. He was always, 24-7, mindful of God. Verse 21 says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's a quote there from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. We just started Isaiah in our men's and women's Bible study in the middle of the week, Wednesday and Thursday morning. If you're ever free in the middle of the week, 10 o'clock on Wednesdays for men and 10 o'clock on Thursdays for ladies, please come. We're walking through the book of Isaiah learning so much. In Isaiah chapter 53, you have what's called the suffering servant passage where Isaiah is looking forward as a prophet telling us that a suffering Savior would come. Jesus that is going to save us from our sins would be a suffering servant. He's not some king riding on a a horse with a crown on. He is a suffering servant because that's what it takes under under the plan of God to save us. It's a passage that we all ought to know, Isaiah 53. Peter clearly knows it. He quotes it twice in this passage. I'll show you the next one later. But here he's he's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus committed no sin. There was not a situation of unjustness that allowed for Jesus to act a fool. There was not a situation of being treated unfair where Jesus was allowed to go off. There was not a situation in Jesus' mind where he thought, I'm just going to wear you out right now and I'm going to show you who's tougher. That didn't accomplish the glory of God. That didn't prove what God wanted to prove. It didn't teach us anything about God. It teaches us something about you. And if you want to be known as being the guy who's who's tougher than everybody, then do that. But if you want to reflect God, be mindful of God. And he says we have the example here in Jesus. 
Jesus, there was never deceit found in His mouth. Never did Jesus say things He shouldn't have said. Never did Jesus say things wrongly about people. Never did Jesus react with a harsh word. That's so much how I am. I find myself all the time frustrated and, and, and yet saying things that I wish I had not said. Jesus never did that when He was treated unjustly. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew that he can trust God. This doesn't seem fair. And I wouldn't have signed up for this. But I know that God knows what he's doing with me. I know that God has a plan for why I'm going through this. And I'm going to entrust myself to Him. I'm not going to react the way the world or an unbeliever or somebody who doesn't know Christ would. Christ is our example. Christ has shown us how to do this. He is our example in being mindful of God. It literally says there, leaving you an example. Christ was always mindful of God. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Have in yourselves the mind of Christ. Have the same mind in you that Jesus had. Colossians chapter 3 says, Set your mind then on the things of God. Set your mind on the things of God. Don't set your mind on whether these people think you're tough. Set your mind on what God wants you to do. Set your mind on how you are to react. Set your mind on what brings God the most glory. A lot of times the reason why we end up being materialistic is because we're, we're wanting people to think well of us. We have nice stuff and people think well of us. A lot of times when we are focused on being a giver or a goer, our money is spent in other ways that don't allow us necessarily to have lots of nice stuff. A person who's able to live with that type of a contentment is mindful that God sees. God knows. I'm not trying to impress people first with my stuff. I want to impress God with my wealth and my giving and my, my earnings and my money. Several years ago, when I was going to Ecuador and needed to raise some money. The person, the single person that gave me the most money was the worst dressed person out of everybody that gave me money. I, I, I could not have dreamed that this person could have even afforded to give me as much money as they did when I was raising money for Ecuador. I was taken back. They gave me a lot of money. At first I was like, are you able to do that? I didn't ask them that. That's what I thought. Now I know that they're totally able to do that. They have quite a bit of money. They don't go here. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But they don't look like it. Could it be that they're mindful of God? 
Did their money be spent and used in ways that are most pleasing to God? Christ is an example to us of what it means to be mindful of God. The Bible teaches us time and time again of Jesus dealing with people, treating with people, reacting to unfair, unjust situations, saying, this is what God wants. I'm going to trust this is where God wants. This is what God wants. This is where God wants me. This is how God wants me. You remember the irony on the cross as Jesus hung there? And them saying, if you are really God, get yourself down off the cross. Remember that? Wouldn't there have been such a temptation there to say, I am really God, watch. Right? It took a man. It took strength. It took toughness. It took the mind of God to say, I'm not trying to react to these people. I'm trying to be what God wants me to be. Do you have any examples in your life? of doing the right thing when it's hard? Do you have any examples in your life of, of doing the right thing when, it's, when you're being treated unfair or unjust? Are you okay to be tough and strong and dependent upon God, completely dependent upon God with the mind of God because life looks unfair and unjust? And I'm not throwing out big hard statements that the Bible's not saying. I'm sticking right with it. He says when you suffer unjustly. Christ suffered unjustly, right? Why? According to verse 21, why did Christ suffer unjustly? It says, for you. For you. The Bible teaches us that as we live out of faithfulness to God like Christ, that those around us would see Christ in us. With this nice weather, the boys have been in the backyard shooting basketball all the time. And the balls were flat from the winter because cold air makes the ball flat. You know that. So we had to pump it up. Boys love, are y'all kids like that? They just love pumping that pump up and down. They love doing that. So I'm showing them. But you can't put a dry needle in a a dry ball. Y'all know that. So I did what I thought everybody in the world does. (laughs) Spit on the basketball. I think that's what y'all do, right? You got to get the ball wet. So you spit on it. The needle goes straight in. It's real simple. And the boys were like, what? Why'd you do that? I said, it's got to be wet. You can't put this dry needle in a dry ball. It's not going to work. Got to get it wet. So I spit on it. The next time, because we had, you know, got a couple balls back there, they wanted to do it. <laughs> let me do it this time, Dad. So I let them. They're not real good at aiming their spit yet, so we had a ball covered in spit before we got on the hole. But they loved it. One of them asked, how do you know how to do that? You know what I said? When I was a kid, my dad did that. My dad spit on the ball. Showed me how to pump it up. I've always known how to do it ever since. And so the cycle is going. And maybe one day, if God allows it, my boys will have children. And they'll have the thrill of spitting on basketballs in the backyard. Saying, my dad taught me that. The next time life's unfair and unjust and you're mad. And you're thinking, why me? And you start to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Don't react like your lost friends would. Remember how your Savior does it. Remember your example and say, I want to be like him. We have an example in Christ of what it looks like to be mindful of God when life's not fair. Thirdly, we are mindful of God because we have new minds. This is the most important point. Look at verse 24. Peter then now shifts from talking about Christ as our example to Christ as our substitute. And these are two huge differences. He's no longer talking about Christ as our example. He's talking about Christ as our substitute. Let me say that again. He's no longer talking about Christ as our example. He's now talking about Christ as our substitute. Look at verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. You've heard that before, by His wounds you have been healed. That's another quote from Isaiah 53, this time verse 5. Uh, Verse 22 was quoting verse 9 of Isaiah 53. This is quoting verse 5 of Isaiah 53. It's all Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, referring to Jesus. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's referring to God as the one who's the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And he says that, that we were straying like sheep. He's not saying that Christians were straying and they need to get back to being mindful of God. That's not what he's talking about. What he is saying is that because verse 24 is true, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What has happened is people who are straying from God because we're lost sinners have been drawn to God through the saving work of Christ. And now in our salvation, we have returned to God, the one that we ran away from. We have returned to God because God has saved us. We were straying and He's returned us back. He's brought us back. We've come back. And because of that now, we are mindful of God. We are mindful of God, not because that works best. We are mindful of God, not because He tells us to. All people struggle to be obedient with something that is contrary to their nature. All people struggle to be obedient with something that is contrary to your nature. This is the whole idea of husbands wanting their wives to change and wives wanting their husbands to change and them not being able to because for so long they've never been that way. They cannot change. We also cannot be mindful of God unless we've been changed. There is no no hope in you coming here today going, okay, well Josh gave us a few tips on how to deal with unfairness in the world, and I'm just going to think about Jesus every time life gets rough. That's not it. That's why Peter knows that that's not it. You're not able to do that. You might try that, but it's not going to work. That's why there's a lot of people out there that say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christ, and they say, well, I'm trying. And they're not doing very well at it. Well, I need to be better. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not, Jesus is our example, now try your best to be like Him. That is not it. Matter of fact, I hate that. That is not our message. Our message is, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin. 
We are dead to treating people the way they treat us. We are dead to being harsh and wrong and rude back. We are dead to fighting back. We are dead to being this or being that. We are dead to that. But we are now alive to righteousness because He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He died for us that we might have righteousness. And we now... By his wounds have been healed. We were far from God in our lostness, but what Christ did on the cross saved us and has brought us back to God. And now us being in a relationship with God, we are mindful of God. That's all we think about. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what Peter wants them to know. When God saves you, the Bible teaches that he gives you a new life, a new heart, a new mind. It literally says a new heart that's alive. Your old heart was dead, but now a heart that's alive. It says it takes the blinders off your eyes. Now you see the way God sees it. Plugs out of your ears. Now you hear the way, the way God sees it. A mind to understand. Now you understand. It talks about that they don't understand, but when you get saved, redeemed, born again, you do understand. And that understanding is the mind of God. The mind of God. Look at how he ends this here. Imagine being in the middle of persecution. Imagine that that you are being abused, treated unfairly, perhaps in jail, you're being beaten, perhaps some of your family have been kidnapped, perhaps some people have been killed. Picture some real persecution that goes on in the world. And then look at the words Peter uses to remind them of God their Father, their Savior. He doesn't use those words. He says, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Folks, when you are treated unfair, when life is wrong to you, you should not go, woe is me. You should not think, well, what about me? You should have the mind of God and and remember that you have a shepherd and an overseer. A shepherd, what's that? One who has his rod and his staff. and And he watches over you, his sheep. He protects you. He fights off the enemies. If there's any enemies there, he's just letting them be there for a reason. If there's any hardship there, he's just letting them be there for a reason. Shepherd leading you, guiding you, caring for you, watching over you. It's His job to protect the sheep. If you feel like you're not protected, chill out a little bit. Trust Him. Entrust yourself to Him. He's got you. And then overseer, He sees it all. He's watching. He's got it. He hadn't forgotten you. He's not neglecting you. He's not turning His back. He's watching. And whenever He needs to, He'll give you just what you need. We just sang it. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. May we be people who have the mind of God. Who are mindful of God in the midst of trials. Mindful of God as Christ was mindful of God, leaving us an example. And mindful of God because we have new minds. And perhaps you're here today and you think, I'm just not getting it. I don't want to. 
Perhaps you know that a trial's coming this afternoon or tomorrow, and you know you're not going to be mindful of God in it. I ask you today that you would turn to Christ and be saved. That you would commit yourself to Him and be forgiven of your sins. If you're here today thinking, I'm not very mindful of God, I ask today that you would turn to Christ and become mindful of God. That you would be a believer in Him. That you would be one of those who has a shepherd and overseer of your soul. That you would be one of those who have entrusted yourselves to Him, knowing that He will not fail you. That He would be your God and you would be His people. May we be those who are mindful of God. And may God get the glory through it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for 1 Peter chapter 2 and the challenge to be mindful of God. God, unfairness and unjustness comes. It, it, it will come. May we look to Christ as our example. And may we be mindful of God because you have redeemed our minds. Lord, make us a church that is strong in reflecting you. And forgive us of our sins, Father, when we so often don't. Work in us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.